Well, last, Saturday, last uh, Sunday, I just want to mention to you that we began this series of conversations, and, and I'm excited about continuing that. We, we want to continue to press into conversations. Uh, we know that these are not necessarily um, easy, they're uncomfortable, and it's okay. Uh, I think um, in every home at times, you have these uncomfortable conversations, and I believe as a nation, it's important that we have these conversations. So we're going to kind of press into that. Um, I know that when you do something like this, some may be offended and some may feel offended because you went one direction or you didn't go this direction. Um, I get that. Uh, we are all at different places. We're at different levels of understanding. Um, I, I know that we are a suburban church that um, is out here uh, not in the city, and, and yet I'm speaking to, I hope, all people at some level, and hopefully our desire is to learn more about Jesus and what it means to be people who listen and learn and understand and then take action in our own personal lives as well as what we need to do um, even um, in the institutions that, that we have created that are called to serve all people. So I just wanted to say that up front, and my hope is that um, these will be inspiring. I actually had an opportunity this past week to have a conversation, uh, and, it, and it focuses in on two stories, one with a, a wonderful person who has served in a lot of different um, areas, has been the assistant U.S. attorney, has been a Hennepin County judge, uh, and she has also been the Minnesota Commissioner of the Department of Corrections. So I was able to speak with Cheryl Ramstead. Some of you may know her also as Jim Ramstead's um, sister, the congressman. And, and they at one time attended here. And I'm trying to have these conversations with people who have been connected here. The other person is George Lang, who is an ex-con, who is now working FreedomWorks. And he's in a what I call a reentry aftercare program for those who are coming out of the prison system. So I'm just going to give you a clip of this, and when you watch this, you can watch the entirety of this if you would like by going to our webpage, and I believe it's under conversations. The documentary is called 13, and it refers to the abolition of slavery, the 13th Amendment, which, if you read it, it's really interesting because it talks about ab- abolishing slavery um, except for people who committed crimes. And um, it talks. It, it was a documentary filmed um, in 2016. Uh, excellent insight into the prison industrial complex and how it's been built on the backs of inmates, and um, ties in with the racial discord that's now going on. Four years ahead of ahead of its time, but I watched it last weekend, and I was just very moved, and, and I gained great insight uh, from the way in which it wove together certain themes. So I'd strongly recommend seeing it on Netflix. Appreciate it, because one of the things I, I want to do is um, give people simple things like that, and I think to watch that documentary would be great. George, I also want to talk to people who are followers of Jesus, and they're asking, what can we do? You are not only a recipient of how God used um, Cheryl in, in instituting some of this, but you are also recipient of people in churches, actual individuals who loved you, and people don't realize how important that was. Just comment again on that. Well, and, and you know, I, I, I should note that I didn't even understand that during the time that people were loving and supporting me, 
I always had this mindset, what do they want? <laughs> you know, there's something up their sleeve, and I didn't get it. And it took me about a year to really open up once I got out of prison to the new relationships that God was surrounded. I just didn't trust people. But then I, I got more trust in God, more trust in my relationship with Christ. Well, I look forward to you maybe having a chance to see that. This um, message today, we're going to go um, in basically what I've called uh, more than just a conversation. Last week, we were talking about starting the conversation. I want to continue to delve more into that. That's what that video was about that you can look at. Uh, we want to just say, how can we come around you and help us at this time as, as people who follow Jesus Christ? Uh, how do we learn? How do we grow? And how do we take our many different perspectives that we have on in our, in our own church uh, around this? And so uh, the Exodus 18 passage is in the journey to joy. I did a tape on Tuesday with Peter Kapsner, and we went through that and talked about his willingness to listen and his willingness to let go and delegate and his willingness to lean on and trust. And you can watch for that also on our, our website, so you can watch that. But I really want to continue the conversation and so I'm really excited um, to ask Peter Kapsner again to join me. He's one of the brightest guys I know. He has a Ph.D. from Edinburgh in Scotland, has taught at Bethel University at Northwestern here in Minneapolis as well, hosted a radio show, and now is also um, often as a, a person who kind of comes in and gives some, some background and some others understanding around that as well. You have your own company that you've been running. I don't even know what the title of your, if you're a CEO or what of it, yeah, but um, I can't it, keep yeah. up with you on that. But here's the big <laughs> thing. He once attended Wyzetta Free and grew up here and his parents are here. And so, Peter, I am so glad that you're a part of this opportunity to continue this conversation. Yeah, thanks, Kevin. I, I So, as you know, appreciate our friendship. I appreciate just the long-term nature of that friendship. And and, and the, tr- the, the trust is a hard thing to come by, you know, in any relationship. And uh, I think we've built that over the years. And, and so when we have these difficult conversations like this, it doesn't mean we're going to get everything right, of course. But it does mean that in that place of trust, we can try to engage and, and do the best we can. So I want to talk about um, what we're kind of leaning into, a conversation are all about trust, and the more you trust people, the deeper you can go in conversation. But I also um, want you, as we talk about this, to recognize conversations are about listening. So yeah. do you listen well? <laughs> is, that a, is, that a, is that in the should notes, Kevin? Your, be, no, well, I thought I'd search that. Uh, yeah. Should I ask your wife and kids? <laughs> well, um, hopefully you get the same answer. And it, and it is um, sometimes not nearly uh, all, you know, it, I don't know. The answer is, is no. And and you can feel that difference, can't you, when you actually know that you're present to and listening and considering somebody else's point of view and perspective as potentially as important as your own in whatever the situation is. But too often I'm caught up maybe looking at my computer screen when somebody comes, my kid, or, uh, or, or, or maybe Hallie comes along, and I'm half into this and half into that, and uh, listening is something that I think is, is a real challenge for a lot of different reasons. For me, a lot of times, and, and if my wife was here, she would, she would tell you, um, I, don't, I get distracted, or I discount things, or I seek to deny things, or one thing that's a big part of my personality is I'll get defensive. I'll yeah. defend things. And, and that makes it really hard for people to share with you what's on their heart, but also makes it really hard to share um, things that can be really helpful right. in relationship to, for like for my wife, for my wife and I to have an even deeper relationship. And I see that happening when we talk about this more than a conversation. It does have to start at a trust level where people truly listen to one another. And what amazes me 
about the passage of scripture that we've been in when I talk about journey to joy, Exodus 18. So I'm just going to say a little bit and I'll ask you to read that scripture in just a minute. But Moses has been leading the people, uh, children of Israel, children, heavy on the children word, because as they've been going through um, this whole process, they have been complaining and they have been um, uh, uh, grumbling and they are whining because they're still in a real victim prison mindset. And, and God is freeing them and saying, your joy is to be in me. Find your joy in who I am. The power that was once over you. In Pharaoh is nothing compared to the power that I have. And then he demonstrates it with plagues and, and the Red Sea. And then he leads them into the desert and they complain and they cry. And he's saying, I want you to find your joy, not only in me and what I can provide. I can provide the water. I can provide the bread. I can provide the, the meat in which the birds that came. I can provide even when the enemy was raiding them from behind. I can provide the protection you need because of this, your identity. You're my child and I love you. And I love you deeply. Now Moses is going along. Verse 8, chapter 18, things change. And now the spotlight's on Moses. Moses has been dealing with this. He's overwhelmed. Um, he's at this place where uh, he is um, ready. To, I think not only is he losing his joy, but he could actually lose um, his ability to lead yeah. effectively. And, and, uh, and what I think is interesting is that his father-in-law comes from another place, meets them right before the Mount Sinai, and and he observes it. Tell me, set the scene, and maybe read the scripture, yeah, and then we'll no, get into you, this conversation. Yeah, I think you set it up really well there. And, and just the, the last piece of that puzzle before the passage hits is the idea that Moses has been standing sort of as the solo judge in front of the people of Israel. They're coming to him all day long, and he's helping to decide their disputes as they're learning how to be a community, living by a different set of rules than they would have lived in the land of Egypt, and they're trying to just sort out who they are. And he is. it, it talks about in the passage that people are standing around him all day and all night. Right. Right. And, and it is weighing on him uh, as you think it would. And he's trying to hold this whole thing alone. And that's when his father-in-law, Jethro, comes in in verse 17 of Exodus 18 and says uh, this, what you are doing, Moses, is not good. You and these people who come to you will only wear yourselves out. The work is too heavy for you. You cannot handle it alone. And then in light of our conversation where we're headed this morning, he says this, listen now to me and I will give you some advice. And may God be with you. And he goes on from there for several passages. But this little section ends with it uh, saying, Moses listened to his father-in-law and did everything that he said. And and so what amazes me is he listened to his in-law. I mean, that that in (laughs) itself is a big deal, right? Okay, so you you look at that, but you have to look at this passage. And and what what is amazing about about Moses, and we get into the delegating and all things in that other message that you can find on that website, but what I want to say here is you have to be impressed with the incredible humility of Moses. We're told in Numbers chapter 12, verses 1 through 3, that Miriam and Aaron began to um, talk against Moses because of his Cushite wife. They found a reason to complain, and and they started to um, say, "Who you know, you're pretty arrogant, Moses, and, and, and then God intervenes, but before he does it, in parentheses in this passage, it says, now Moses was a very humble man, more humble than anyone on the face of the earth. Yeah. And I see his humility in these ways. He listened to someone who in many ways was lower than he was mm-hmm. in, in, in these ways. He wasn't educated at the U of Egypt. He didn't go through feral school <laughs> of leadership, right? right. Jethro's father-in-law is really a 
sheep herder. He's a chief of their priests in that area. But he's also less educated. He's, um, he, has, he has none of the, uh, the, the kind of leadership skills that Moses has demonstrated. And, um, you know, he just, he, he comes with less experience. Um, you also see that he listens to someone outside himself, which is really important right now because most of us are being forced to hear voices that we don't necessarily listen to. Yeah, and, and that, that piece of humility, I don't think we can say it enough, Kevin, in terms of when Moses is described that way as being a humble person. I think before we even think about continuing to engage in the heat of the moment, and we have to engage in the heat of the moment, we've got to figure out our way forward in this in, in, with, with thoughtfulness and with wisdom, but I think you could probably start as a daily practice every day, all of us, just saying, um, God, help me walk in humility today, meaning that I know that I have limitations. I know, I don't even know what I don't know, right? Mm -hmm. Blind spots by their very definition, uh, you don't know you have them because you're blind to them. But I think we can safely assume we all have blind spots. We all, uh, we, we all only have a piece of the puzzle. And so when you sort of wed humility together with listening, you start to listen in a different kind of way because you're listening from the perspective of humility saying, I don't know everything. I mean, that's true of any relationship, but oh my word, is it true on all sides of the conversation today about just sort of this, let, let's practice humility as a starting point. I, last piece I heard uh, Dave Busby, a former pastor, say recently that humility is sort of living within the, the shadow of the face of God. Like you're never closer to the face of God than when you're uh, walking in humility. Mm-hmm. And uh, because there's a recognition, again, of our limitations. And yeah. and uh, and that's a starting point for so much good that can come from that. No, and, and then that, you know, we could do a whole study on humility and it's not about poor me, bad me, I'm not, you know, and, and I don't have these gifts. It's right. much more about a nice sense of identity. This is my God. I know who I am, but I know also what I don't know. Right. And when some from the outside comes and, and they are maybe less educated or they're maybe not as spiritually qualified or, or they um, have a different experience, that's the important part of humility is going, their experience, is, it, it, and that person needs to be, in this sense, honored and respected to be able to hear their experience yeah. and to listen to that. The other thing I think is interesting is not only see, we see this, that he, um, he listens to someone who I would say in some ways are less qualified, someone who's from the outside of his own experience, which is so important, that he also listens to someone with a different belief system. Yeah. Because we, we kind of want to think, well, Jethro was this guy who was a follower after God, but he, he really... Um, what we read in scripture is that Moses tells Jethro all about the things that God has done for them, the God name Yahweh. Now listen to Jethro's response. He's not on the same page, really, in one sense, with relationship to who Jesus or who God is. And, and so he doesn't know this Yahweh except for all that Moses has been telling him. And he says, now I know that the, the Lord Yahweh is greater than the other gods. For he did this to those who treated Israel Arrogantly, which is a huge thing because they were being oppressed and in a system and by a pharaoh in such a way that God sought 400 years. The people of Israel cried out to God. And God finally, after 400 years, hears your cry, sends a deliverer. And then you have this picture of, of this guy Jethro coming who doesn't go, finally, now, Yahweh is my only God. He's still saying, He's one of many. And I think the, the, the true picture of humility is a person who understands truth is truth. And I can hear sometimes truth in someone else 
if I listen to their experience, because God might be speaking to me through that person. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it, you, it, it just even in inviting me up here, Kevin, you sort of read through some of the lines of my resume, right? Which would indicate, you know, that supposedly there should be all sorts of things I'm capable of speaking into and right. all of these things with the fancy letters and all of that. But I think one of the, the, the great patterns and the beautiful invitation within God's kingdom, both Old and New Testament, is that the people that receive wisdom, and by wisdom I mean the ability to discern what is right and good in God's kingdom and to lead and to walk in those ways, are hardly ever people with the fancy robes and the fancy mm-hmm. letters. Um, that, that almost always is getting in the way of because you lean into things that simply cannot deal with uh, with the complexity and the disorganized and organized chaos and evil in our world mm-hmm. across the board. It is people, it's almost always the people of no status mm-hmm. by earthly measures to whom the wisdom and the power and the humility of God comes and it's to them that the kingdom begins to right. flow through. And, and I, this is another profound example of it and I think as we're thinking about who do we listen to and how do we walk forward in these ways, the temptation is mm-hmm. to listen to all the public figures or the fancy letters or all of the, and, and again, that doesn't mean they won't have things that right. are important to say, but to dismiss people um, because maybe they don't hold a status in life or are different from or whatever, just right. to simply dismiss them, ooh, that is at our peril compared to the pattern within God's kingdom. Well, I think it's really interesting when um, I've done, a, 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 you know, one of my um, background studies was in religious studies and it was also in, in some of the um, early workings of the church. And when you see the church, um, the people who flocked to Jesus were the broken, always, the poor, always. right? And there's this statement that says the gospel chases the poor. Hmm. And if you look at that throughout history, you see that so often, like when God said to Moses when they came into the land, once you get satisfied, once you feel like in some ways you provided all this for yourself, stop and remember, I provided. Because it's so easy to become self-reliant. And what happens is that people who are in positions where they are broken, where they are poor, where they don't have resources, that's where Jesus said, blessed are the poor. Yeah. And he says in spirit, those who are broken understand their need, their lack of resources. He says, what, he says blessed are you because what? The kingdom of God, the presence, yeah. the, the reality of God is, is possible because he says, in your poverty, I can come because of your humility with resources yeah. to provide. Yeah, so, if I can just jump in on that question, too. I just heard somebody recently talk about that very beatitude of Matthew 5, where mm-hmm. uh, the voice of God had been relatively silent for 400 years in the nation of Israel. You may want to pay attention when God begins to speak again after 400 years, and the first thing Jesus oh, says really are, is, blessed are those who know they don't have what it takes, or blessed are the poor in yeah. spirit, because when you know that, you begin to lean into something different, and, the, yeah. and to you, the kingdom begins to unfold. It's a really profound well, invitation. And again, we could get into whole other area of numerology when you look at 40 days yeah, and 40 absolutely. nights and when and i've never thought of that i have thought of this 400 years in relationship to the oppression that that um, israel had been in egypt and i thought about the 400 years with regard even to our own nation and, and what's happening in in our in 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 the black um culture today where there has been a cry over yeah. history um, i have really believed in my heart that god is in this process and i'm really praying that with George Floyd and this death and others before, but this is one that's redemptive, where God gets a hold of all our hearts, and we go, okay, and it's not about assessing, placing blame, but everyone needs to kind of go, okay, where is this about me, and where am I in the systems of this world, and what does this look like for some to have some privilege and some to have not, but that's to get into something else. I just really believe as a church, and I will say this to our church, This is a time to listen, to seek to really understand 
It's a time not to, when it comes to listening, to discount what someone's saying. It's a time not to immediately deny. It's a time not to try and defend or try and deflect. But this is a time to follow the example of of Moses, the most humble man on the face of the earth, who was willing to stoop down, whether it was education, whether it was outside their experience, or even if it was, like I said, a person who didn't believe just like he did. And he listened. And it's so cool in this passage, we talked about it on this other one, again, on the web, you can listen to that. But it was so cool about that is that, that God came in, and Jethro, I love his, he said, if, he says, do this if God commands. So he doesn't even come in and say, you need to do this. He says, you need to listen. Yeah. And, it, and it's not just listen to me. It's not just listen to the voices out there. It's to listen and listen then to God in your heart of hearts and to do so with humility. So Peter, I've gotten some pushback, obviously, even from last week, from both sides. Yeah, you know, you didn't course. go far enough. Um, from some saying, "What are we doing?" You know, this is uh, this has been blown out of proportion, or uh, someone's sh- they send me a video of an account of uh, of a black person who says they haven't ever experienced white privilege or any of that kind of stuff, and 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 it's kind of like, so, what do you think of that pushback? What do you? <laughs> what's your response to? Um, you invited me up here for this, though. Yeah, this yeah. I, I'm yeah. asking you to kind of say, you know, what's your thoughts? Uh, well, You're outside in one yeah, sense, so you yeah, can speak yeah. to it. Well, I, you know, I think, um, it, and this is where listening intersects with what your question is, is that uh, I think if we're not careful, and myself included in this, is that we live in what people could call an echo chamber of our own thinking, meaning we sort of already have our defined views about this, and then we are more prone to then simply listen to those views that match our own. So we might find a video that says, we probably are already thinking, hey, look, you know, X, Y, Z about the situation. And now this video confirms it. And now it's sort of done and dusted and I can wash my hands of the whole situation. Right. And, and I think we, even as a country, but certainly as people, we leave, we live in the echo chambers. And so we're always listening for kind of like buzzwords, like, does this person align with my thinking and do they not? And, and I think there's a much more profound and important invitation here, mm-hmm. understanding that there isn't one perfect way forward that people are identifying. Right. Okay. I don't see any voices out there that say, if we do X, Y is going to happen. I think we're in the mess of the chaos. Of, of something that has persisted underneath the surface of our country, sometimes popping up, uh, and then goes back. We're in a chaos of this thing exploding in some new and different ways, mm-hmm. I would suggest. And in the midst of that, instead of just already having our predefined views determine who we listen to and how we listen, I think we, we just have to step back and, and reconsider where can my point of view change and evolve and shift. And I'm not advocating for any solution all of this, even as I say that, I'm saying on every side of every conversation, the pathway always starts with humility, where listening is different than just saying, I understand what you're saying. Um, the, the listening in the scriptures is that I am going to take and, and hearken to your point of view and, uh, and, and consider that as important as my own in the situation as we try then together to navigate towards the truth that will set us free from some of these sorts of things. And and so I would just, to the people, understandable, I get it, people, there's always, uh, you know, you go out on Facebook, right? There's always somebody on this side and somebody on this side. But I think it's that idea of just, you have to set some things down uh, and and be willing to say, maybe I'm limited here. And that's that first step of humility. Where we end up, 
it has to be within the truth of God's kingdom. It can't be a political agenda, right? right? It can't be because we advocate for this side or that side, Democrat, Republican, or or where we fall on the Black Lives Matter movement. We have to stay committed to the truth of God's kingdom wherever that leads us. And the only way to get to that truth, I would suggest, starts with humility, starts with listening, trying to thoughtfully work through all of these things together, and being willing to change our point of view should circumstances Mm -hmm. merit it. Well, I found it interesting when I did the uh, when I was doing the pre-interview with Julian Johnson, who is uh, one of our black attenders in our church, and I was asking about. Uh, I actually even asked him about white privilege, and he goes, in his situation, he goes, "I haven't." He just said, "I don't." Um, it hasn't hit me that way, and and yet he could talk about places in his life where he's experienced um, that uh, both what I would just call racism, um, and yet he said, "But I also have a different temperament." Yeah. And and he said, I have a temperament that's going to, you know, push this and do that. And so I think what's interesting, I, not everyone in the black community has experienced that. But I would say, on a whole, because of it mm-hmm. being in the system, the 400 years, yes, there yeah. is this that's going on. And, um, yeah, and, that was, and that, I mean, I think people... Um, they resist sort of these monolithic statements, meaning that this is what every black person has experienced. And if you're, if you're not careful, then you'll dismiss the reality of the patterns that are going on. I was, right. I was once told by my advisor in Edinburgh, maybe don't use the phrase Christianity as much as if every Christian is having the same experience. But what you can safely say are there are profound patterns within Christianity. And I, I think it would be very hard to argue uh, against the anecdotes and the data and stuff like that, that there hasn't been a pattern of um, significant violence and oppression and all of what we're talking about here. So to dismiss something just because two or three people maybe had a different kind of experience right. is um, really, I would say, lazy thinking to, to not recognize that there are profound patterns that can be substantiated over time. And I think that's what's being pushed to the surface I think so right too. now I think is it the is patterns too. of that. Um, racism is really interesting. It's not merely something unique to the U.S., um, but we have an opportunity, I think, as a nation to lead and to model a path forward. Um, it's flag day yeah. today. <laughs> and I just thought to myself, as I watched what's going on, again, wherever you're at on the protests, the fact that, um, and I pray that we preserve the opportunity to not for people to, to burn and destroy other people's property, but for people to be able to speak, I think is a very important part of what needs to happen. And I praise God for the fact that we have a country, for the most part, that allows that to happen. And from that standpoint, I'm grateful for that. Yeah. And, and, and when, I, when, we, when we put the spotlight on, let's just say, black lives right now, it doesn't negate all the other things that are good in other of parts not. of our, of our yeah, and to, and to agitate. I mean, I understand the idea where people are saying all lives matter, blue lives matter, that sort of thing. But I mean, can you have the wisdom of the times? Mm-hmm. I mean, I heard the analogy of saying just, uh, and I'm sure other people that are watching and listening right now have heard the same analogy that um, that all houses matter, right? But if there's one house that's burning, that's the one that you're paying attention to. It doesn't mean that the other, but it would be foolish to stand there on the street and say, well, we're not going to do anything about this burning house because all houses matter. Why should right. we? That, it, can you understand and read the times? And, and I understand it's chaotic and there's things that we maybe should resist and things that we should pay attention to, but we need to stay in the conversation with humility to sort out what the solutions are going to be. I, I want to, on that note, I want to read something from Greg Waybright, who is a, was a ministry colleague of mine. In fact, I worked for him. He was the president, former president of our Free Church Seminary, and he had put this on his website. Uh, he was the president of Trinity Divinity School, and he writes, uh, 
Noting how racism, prejudice, and discrimination are found in every society around the world because it's, it is a sin issue. Uh, and, and again, we've got to be careful to say it's a sin issue and then not deal with the right. patterns and things that are actually um, happening. But he says, whenever I speak about Black Lives Matter, so this is our, my colleague, former president of our uh, Divinity School, Whenever I speak about Black Lives Matter with people who grew up in a kind of evangelical churches like I did, I almost always get the same response. Of course they do, but Christians believe that all lives matter. And of course, he Greg says, they do. And then he goes on, but I've tried to point out, kind of like you said when a house is on fire, that even though we know the Bible teaches that every human life matters because we are all created in the image of God, in every country I've ever visited, I've discovered that there are certain lives that are treated as if they don't matter. Yeah. I remember my conversations with untouchables when I ministered in India with the Turkish immigrants, when I lived in Germany with the Ghanaian workers, when I started a school in South Korea, and on and on. He goes on. I've tried to point out that Jesus superficially, uh, specifically, specifically identified with and blessed those whom others in his world were treated as they did not matter. Yeah. I've added that if we are going to identify with and bring good news to people in our world as Jesus did, we need to do the same. And in light of that, he writes, I think it's evident that Jesus would say that in America, black lives matter. Yeah. And for that very purpose. Um, And then he goes, I confess. And this is what I confess to. I I spoke with one of our attenders who is um, uh, a black lady who... I talked to and I just really respect this family and and they were sharing some thoughts that I'm going to actually try and do a conversation with that I thought were really helpful but we're just sharing some thoughts about even last week there was confusion and and communicating that's the hard part of communicating I wish I could just say it exactly so I could <laughs> I know right people could, but right. that's the whole part, but that's part of, of the mess that you and I are even in right now Correct. I mean trying to it's not like we're coming through with like perfect dogma. You know, it, we're trying to sort this out even in like live and person here. So, so. so Greg Waybright, a colleague of mine, this former president is in the same boat I am because he says in many conversations I've had about this matter, I've often encountered either anger or glazed expression often yeah. from folks I feel quite close to. Yep. I've looked for ways to communicate something that seems to me to be at the heart of the life of Jesus and um, I'm trying to work better at doing it, which is an interesting thing about this conversation. Again, right. it's not easy. It's We're easily misunderstood, or we don't make the point as clearly as we'd like to. And so he says, I've got someone um, that I think could say it better than, than he himself did. And he quotes um, a Reverend Chuck Hunt. He says, when we repent, when we reflect the image of God, we do so without diversion, a division between people, you know what? I need my um, readers. readers. I could I could be a reader. What, what hey, well, you can read it. Go ahead. No, read I'm not so much younger than you. My eyes yeah. are. You know, obviously. that's right. I forgot. You're 25. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> okay. 20. Just turned me up. 26. Um, all right. Where were you reading from here? Yeah, right here. Okay. Uh, when we reflect the image of God, we do so without division between peoples, but with our distinct ethnicities and cultures still intact. Jesus breaks down the divisions between us, but leaves the distinctions in place so time we, and time again. So let me just comment yeah, on please. that. When you people, there was a period where we're saying colorblind, be, you know, we need to be colorblind, which is really true. Let's not look at color and make that the determination. 
But at the same time today, what we're saying is, no, we need to see color. We need to see those differences. And that's part of listening because it would, again, be discounting you if I didn't see some of the uniquenesses of who you are. So now read the rest of that because that's the part that I think really gets to that, if you would for me. Absolutely. Thank you. I'm so glad I asked you to do this. I serve you, Kevin. So so Jesus said things like, let the little children come to me. While his disciples protested that the children are not important, Jesus stopped on the road for a man yelling, son of David, have mercy on me while the disciples were telling the man to shut up. Because the blind beggars were not important, Jesus invited himself to a tax collector's house for dinner while the crowd was saddened and confused because that man had been a cruel thief. Jesus made a sinner important. Jesus spoke with a woman at a well in a city he didn't have to go to while his disciples complained about going there. His actions and his words allowed her to know that she and her people mattered to God. These are people on the outside. I mean, for sure, the Samaritans. Instead of telling a story about his own actions in the world, Jesus tells a story about a Samaritan to the lawyer trying to trap him. In the process, he redefines what it means to be a neighbor and says, go and do likewise. Jesus says, children matter, the lame matter, sinners matter, women matter, Samaritans matter. Black lives matter. Church, we need to have a talk on his way to give his life for the whole world. Jesus proved that he loved everyone by making specific people matter. And now it's our turn. So I believe that's important for the church. I think it is too, Kevin. And I think, you know, that that there might be some understandable resistance because there's so much anger involved. Again, uh, understandable anger Mm -hmm. coming out of this that you sort of want to turn off to because it's so angry and there can even be this sense of you need to shut up and listen now i mean you, you hear some of that happening with some of the movements and i i think the invitation even to that is to recognize the anger um bear the burden of that anger and still move into a posture of listening you don't have to agree with the idea that everybody should just now shut up and listen but that doesn't mean you should then tune out uh, and you don't have to agree with all of what's going on in the Black Lives Matter movement to not still enter in the conversation Correct. in humility. So I think we've got to avoid those either-or places that say, I don't agree with that, I'm going to dismiss it. Let's stay in the chaos of the conversation in humility, yeah. even when we don't agree, and for good reasons don't agree with certain things that are going on, but that doesn't give us the right to yeah. check out. And, and so I have to say, with all some of the feedback I've gotten, i got to tell you, I am really proud of our church. Yeah, it's been we, amazing to see. We are in the process of learning to do this because... If we can't do this and model this, how do we expect the world to have any um, op- any ability to do right. this? I mean, if we don't model what marriages are like, if we don't model what families are like, if we don't model just what it means to sacrifice and, and live in self-denial, um, we're called to do this because of what Jesus has done for us. So I am so grateful for our church. And so here's my hope. My hope is that this is more than a conversation. One of the things I've gotten from people is they say, "We tell us what can we do." I want. Here's what I'm hoping from this conversation. This is what I call it more than a conversation. I'm hoping it'll do two things. It will raise awareness, where we will learn and listen and, and read and do or watch. I mean, in things like that. And it will also lead to some action, to however God leads you to it. And I, I'm going to ask you if you don't mind. I was going to have you do this later, but if you'd put up the slide, um, if you would, there are going to be some what I call a resource list that you can find on our website where there will be some video content. There's a there's one of them is Just Mercy by Brian Stevenson. I read that book a number of years ago. It's now out in a movie. It's free. If you go to a couple different of the sites that you can watch the movie free, it's a 
one of the latest releases. Good thing to watch. There's video content, articles, and books that we put on there um, that will help you um, work through this conversation. The other thing is people say, well, I want to do something. So one thing you can do is raise awareness. The other is you can serve. You can There's serve opportunities. And we've got Mobile Hope Transform Minnesota Source. And we have on our, our page, if you go to our website, it says awareness. And I think the other one says action. And so you can hit one of those and find this information. I want to close with um, with a note I got from someone in our church family. Didn't you mean read, read that note? No, I'm just I'm I'm sorry. No, I know. <laughs> I just this, it's, it's, I, this I know, it's a very beautiful note. Yes, Dear Kevin, a... my husband and I watched the forum this morning. It was last Sunday. Yeah. Thank you so much. It was a very positive and excellent dialogue. These last two weeks have been sobering. Hmm. We have black neighbors across the street and have been having conversations with them. It has opened our eyes to the fear they experience regularly for their children who are in college and high school. They're from Chicago. They have now been our neighbors for, for over eight years now. The day after George Floyd was killed and we all started to see that video, our neighbor put a handmade sign in their front yard. These are the Chicago neighbors. Stop killing black people. And this person right, it brought us to tears. So we made a sign of support and put it in our front yard. We had no idea that the small gesture would mean so much to them. Our neighbor came to our door, thanked us, and told us that she sent the words on our sign to her mother back in Chicago. We told her we have her back, and they could count on us to be there if they needed us. So, Kevin, we all have to, much to learn and need to move forward in love and compassion. And I think that's the bottom line of humility. Yeah. It, it, we, we think maybe we've got to do something really big. It, it really is, God, what are you asking me to do next? What does it love look like here? What does compassion look like? My wife, um, Grace, sent me this quote, which... Um, I'll kind of end this on. We're not called by God to do extraordinary things, but to do ordinary things with extraordinary love. Yeah, I, I, And I believe that's what God calls us to when he says humility and love and compassion. I'm going to um, close this with uh, a, a scripture that I'm just going to read. This is another one of the prayers that we had. Um, as a staff that we did when we did the Daniel 9 prayer where we wrote out our own prayer one of the staff members wrote this prayer quoted from from James and I will say that Andrea is when it led us in this and, and just for you to know she Andrea Habeisen our pastor of worship and prayer was on a call this uh, Thursday night a national call with about five or six prayer leaders in the Minneapolis St. Paul area and she was one who was a part of that and led some prayers in that and so um, I'm thankful for the gift she's given us. So here's what this person prayed, and I ask you to pray it with me. And then for those of you who want to stay, we're going to go into communion and uh, and have communion together. So I'm going to ask the team if they want to come up at this time, that'd be great. Let me pray. My brothers, show no partiality as you hold the faith in our Lord Jesus Christ, the Lord of our glory. For if a man wearing a gold ring and fine clothing comes into your assembly, and a poor man in shabby clothing also comes in, and if you pay attention to the one who wears the fine clothing and say, you sit here in a good place while you say to the poor man, you, you stand over there or, or sit down at my feet. 
Have you not made distinctions among yourselves and become judges with evil thoughts? If you fulfill the royal law according to the scripture, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. You are doing well. But if you show partiality, you are committing sin and are convicted by the law as transgressors. Father, this, as this person prays, applies to me. Search me and know my heart. Root out my thoughts that are lesser. Do I think more highly of myself because of my actions, my heritage, my righteousness? Do I identify with my race and culture and people more than I identify with your unified church? Do I favor people that I think are better in some way? I confess all the ways I have fallen short, not loved, not cared for others. Amen.